I know that in, in most churches, we kind of observe the same formula. It's gone down through for hundreds and hundreds of years that people would come together and they would sing, they would worship God, and then there'd be a time of looking at the Word of God. And, there's, and that's not uh, just a ritual. There's a reason why we take time and we focus our heart on our, on, and our love on Jesus. And our hearts are, are more open now than they were 20, 30 minutes ago because we've turned our attention on him. And so I, I just, I still, I sense the presence of God. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's kind of tempting to just stay right here. But uh, I, I believe that God wants to speak something to us today. We're in the middle of a series <clears throat> that has been uh, greatly beneficial and impactful on many people. Uh, we've been hearing feedback on it. And we've been talking about, Pastor Sean started us actually several weeks back on a series about the Beatitudes. So if you haven't been tracking with us on that, the Beatitudes, uh, you know, are, are the first part of that, that sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. And the Beatitudes are so awesome because really the Beatitudes are just a description of what it looks like when people enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, live out kingdom principles. Because I want, to, I want to say this, it is impossible to live the way the Bible teaches you to live. It's impossible. You can't do it in the natural. You can't do it on your own. You have to do it with the help, with the supernatural enablement of the power of God or the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of the things that, that this word of God calls us to do are very hard to do. But the Holy Spirit was sent to us. Jesus said, you'll receive power from on high to enable us to do these things. And so what we see when we see the Beatitudes is we see what it looks like when people are living out kingdom principles under the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've, we've looked at the poor in spirit, it, it, you know, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. And like Pastor Sean's talking about, living the Jesus way can appear to be upside down. Because you see these things and it almost seems like they contradict each other. You know, this, this part of the beatitude contradicts that part of the beatitude. But what we're going to look at today may appear, at least on the surface, to be more right side up. Listen to this one. We're in, we're in uh, verse 8 now. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And you might be thinking, okay, I get this one, right? This one makes sense to me. Of course, the pure in heart, the righteous ones, right? They're going to be the ones that get to have this up close and personal relationship with God. They're going to be the ones that see God. It's not going to be the heathens out there that have experiences with God. But I want to suggest that when Jesus is teaching this point, that he's not talking about righteousness. When he's talking about the pure in heart, I want to suggest he's not talking about 
just doing the right thing versus the wrong thing, doing a good thing versus doing a bad thing. And he's not talking about purity in that context. For one thing, he, he hit on the, the topic of righteousness just two beatitudes back. So he already unpacked that principle. So what is purity if it's not the same as righteousness, if it's not just about doing good things or bad things? What is purity? It's actually very, very simple. Purity is just something that is not mixed with anything else. It's that simple. Purity is something that is not mixed with anything else. With anything else. That's purity. We talk about pure gold, right? And pure gold is valuable because it's gold that's not mixed with any other metal. And for pure gold to become pure, it goes through a refining process. It goes through the fire. And the heat from the fire separates out the impurities. And again, remember, the impurities are not bad things, so to speak. They're just anything that's not gold. And the heat from the fire separates the impurities from the gold so that they can be recognized and removed. So purity is a singular focus, a singular desire, a singular purpose. And in this context of this beatitude, the pure in heart, purity is, a pure heart is a container for only one thing. It's a container for only one thing. And people who are pure in heart realize that when you're born again, you're not just simply incorporating Jesus into your life. Jesus becomes your life. And I think that's something that can get lost, you know, especially in today's culture and today's modern uh, Christianity, that we can, we can kind of look at Jesus as when we give our life to him, he becomes one of many things in our heart. But that's really not what it is, right? That's not even how he describes it himself. So when you give your life to Jesus, your heart is naturally drawn to be both filled with Jesus and immersed in Jesus. And today, I have a couple quotes that I want to incorporate into this from from A.W. Tozier, because as I was working on this message, I kept being drawn back to some of what he's written. And I would even suggest, if you want to dig a little deeper on this after today, read his book, The Pursuit of God. Because outside of the Bible itself, it's one of the greatest writings on the idea of running after God with a singular focus. So here's a quote from Tozier. He says this, the yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable, arises from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calleth unto deep, and though polluted and landlocked by the mighty disaster theologians call the fall, the soul senses its origin and longs to return to its source." And as deep and poetic as that is, I think that King David actually even says it in a more powerful way. I want to look at Psalms 27.4 and put this up on the screen. I actually want you to read this with me, 
Okay, let's all participate together today. So let's read this together. Psalms 27.4. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. That is a singular focus. That's a focus that says... I recognize that there are other things. And some of those other things are good things. Some of those other things are bad things. But I am making a decision that my focus is singular on this one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. So we talk about what purity is. And we understand that it's just that one thing with nothing else mixed in. And I want to break down this simple beatitude. So I want to talk about purity. I want to talk about the heart. And I want to talk about what it means to see God. So the heart, Jesus specifically talks about those who are pure in heart. And that's significant. And that has has meaning, okay? Now, we have a mind. God's given us a mind. And in this mind that's being renewed, we deal with all kinds of things. There's all sorts of things We don't just have a single focus in our mind. We can't do that. We can't afford to do that. You have to go to work. You have to run your home. You have to to balance all kinds of things and keep all kinds of things, uh, plates spinning with your mind. But your heart has to be pure. And I'll tell you this too. A pure heart makes it a lot easier to have a pure mind. So Jesus is making promises to those whose hearts are pure, are singular, focused. And let me just say this right now, real quickly. If you are facing a giant in your life, if you're facing anything that you've been struggling with, that you have not been able to get victory over, I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a pattern of thinking and you just can't seem to break free, it could be, it could be that your heart is divided. It could be that your heart is containing more than just one thing, that other things are mixed in. And so what we're looking at today is really important because this might be the key to the victory that you've been needing. Because if you have other things mixed in, other desires, other passions, other ambitions, you will not be able to see God, and you won't be able to see God in that situation. The heart is incredibly, incredibly important. Proverbs 4.23 tells us this, that we have to keep our heart with all vigilance, For from it flow the springs of life. We have to guard our heart. We have to watch over our heart. We have to be consistent day in and day out and constantly be monitoring our heart. If anybody ever uses that phrase, follow your heart, don't listen to that. That's horrible. I went off on a rant last night on that phrase, follow your heart. And I think I added like 10 minutes to the sermon. I don't know. I'm not going to do that today, but that's not biblical. That's not in the Bible. We don't follow our heart. We guard our heart. 
We monitor our heart. But the heart is important. Strong's Concordance cites the heart in the King James Bible 826 times. So we know that the issue of the heart is incredibly critical and central to being healthy followers of Jesus. Something of great value flows out of your heart. Something of great value originates in your heart and flows out of it. And if your heart is divided, if your heart is not pure, then that doesn't happen. And without that purity, you can get drawn into distraction and even deception. So it's super important. Listen to this. This is what Paul's saying. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he addresses this very, very thing. So let me read this. And as I read this, uh, let me give you a job too. As I read this, I want you to just think about over the past, let's say, 12 months, okay? We're, we're coming up on the, on the 12-month anniversary, if you want to call it, when things really changed, right? When quarantine went into effect, you know, and we saw all the different things that happened in 2020. And I want you to just think back over the last 12 months as we read this passage. So beginning of verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may change certain per- sorry, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations. In modern terminology, we would call that a conspiracy theory. Rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now think about that. I want you to think about the last 12 months. Has anything happened? Has anything come along that has drawn you away to myths, speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that's by faith? Verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. It's talking about a certain kind of love that comes from a specific place. But that heart has to be pure. It's a prerequisite. It's a requirement. And a good conscience and a sincere faith. Listen to this, verse 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. Here's one of the reasons why this is so important. Here's one of the reasons why Jesus includes this in his teaching in the Beatitudes. Because if you don't guard your heart, if you don't daily guard your heart, and keep it pure, then you put yourself in a position to be drawn away into different doctrines, myths, and speculations that will cause you to wander away into vain discussion, if I can quote that verse we just read. Your pure heart will keep you aimed in the right direction, and it will keep you safe against being pulled off into wackiness, okay? Nobody wants to be a wacky person. We may be tempted to fill our hearts with other things. I get it, okay? It's not, I understand. There are times that it's very tempting to put other things in there, right? And some of the things that we want to put in there are good things. 
But as you add other things, you lose purity. And you have to have a pure heart. So I really, really want to drive this point home. I really want to get every ounce of impact out of this as possible. So Jeremy helped me create a video to try to illustrate this uh, in a different way. And so let's go ahead and take a look at this video. Well, we just talked about Proverbs 4.23 that tells us that we need to keep our heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. So Proverbs 4.23 says that we need to guard our heart. We need to guard our heart. We need to keep it pure. Now, God has given us a mind that's different from your heart. And the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so our mind is able to deal with a lot of different things and process a lot of different things. And things can come in and we can process them and they can go out. But our heart is something that Proverbs 4.23 says we're supposed to keep pure. Now, I want to illustrate this, uh, how this can sometimes break down a little bit if we're not careful. So got a clear glass right here and I've got this water. Now it says purified water, right? Okay, so what does that mean? It doesn't mean that this is good water or that this is righteous water. It just means this is water and nothing else, okay? So if I take this label at its word, then I can believe that this is just water and nothing else and I can pour it into this glass and I can see that there's just water in there. And that's supposed to be how our heart um, is supposed to look. We're supposed to be pure in heart, right? Now, but sometimes here's what's, what happens. Sometimes someone comes along and tells us, your heart is great, but you need something else. You need to let other things into your heart. So sometimes... So I've got some vitamin C powder here, right? So what is this? This is a man-made chemical that you add in here that's supposed to make it a little better, right? It's like water plus something else, right? It's gonna, you put this in here and you're going to have extra vitamin C. It's gonna boost your immune system. And this is water better, right? So they said. So now we've got something that is building up our immune system. According to what we're being told, we're getting more vitamin C, but is it pure water anymore? No, it's not pure water. And then sometimes we can have something in our life that causes hurt or pain. And we're looking for uh, an antidote or a relief from hurt or pain. Now, I just got to be totally honest with you right now. I was looking for those Alka-Seltzer tablets that you drop into water and they fizz and it's real cool. I couldn't find it, but I did find Alka-Seltzer gum, okay? So I'm going to pull this gum out and you're just, I'm just going to have to ask you to use your imagination right now, all right? So as I drop this in, just imagine some fizz. There we go. We had a little plop. We had the plop plop, but no fizz fizz. Just use your imagination. So now what we've done is we've added in something else to deal with the pain, right? We've got pain in our heart and we're looking for uh, relief from the pain. And so we open up our heart and we add in something else 
to help us deal with that pain. And sometimes we find things that help us deal with the pain. But do we have a pure heart? No. We've got a heart with some man-made stuff in there, a heart with some things that we've let in to help us deal with the pain. And then sometimes something comes along that isn't really beneficial to us at all, but it just tastes good. So you've got this stuff right here, and I'm gonna tell you, it smells pretty good. Now, parents, let me give you a little tip right here. This is just a side thing. This tells you that you can just add this to water, but if you want your kids to be happier, you have to add it to hot milk. But for the purposes of our illustration today, we're just gonna add it in. So here's something that we found that doesn't really have any benefit to us other than it just makes us feel good, right? And I know the Bible says we're supposed to guard our hearts, but man, we really love hot cocoa powder, and so we're just gonna add some of that in. And it's okay if we don't guard our heart just for a little bit to have some hot cocoa powder, right? And so now we have this concoction of things that are supposed to make us better, man-made, humanistic, natural-minded things that are supposed to make us better that we've added into our heart. We've got things that we've added into our heart and allowed in because we have pain and we wanna deal with the pain. And it may not be the best thing, it may not be guarding our heart, but we've let something in to help us deal with the pain. And then we've just got this stuff here that's just basically sugar and cocoa powder, and it doesn't have any redeeming qualities whatsoever, but boy, it makes us feel good. And so we've added that in too. And what we started off with that was pure, because we opened up our heart to these things, we've got some concoction here that no, I'm not going to drink it, but we've got this concoction here that is anything but pure. And each time it felt right to open up our heart and add these things. But there's a reason why we are supposed to guard our heart and keep it pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The people last night were all bummed out that I didn't drink that stuff. And listen, you guys don't know the struggle with this here. It would have just been everywhere. And I was doing a video, okay? So just, you know, next time, I don't know, maybe if you want to come back to the next service, at the end of the next service, I'll mix all that stuff up again and drink it up on stage. Sounds like a youth group thing to do. Okay. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm really not going to do that. But so look, we've talked about what it means to be pure. We've talked about why our hearts are the part of us that need to be pure. But Jesus makes a promise to the pure in heart that they will see God, that they will see God. And the way that I am is I like to ask questions. It's kind of how I think. It's kind of how I process things is by creating a question that I have to answer. And when I hear that, my first question is, why is it, why can't everybody see God? Why, do, why is it just the pure in heart? Why, why are they the ones that get to see God? And what does it mean when Jesus says, see God? What is he talking about? Now, I, without 
taking a long detour here, I can tell you this, that the word see has more than one definition um, in the original language of the New Testament. And so I could see a movie or I could, and so we, we, we have an issue of interpretation here. What does that mean to see God? Is Jesus saying that the pure in heart will physically see God? Like we'll, we'll with, with our physical eyes see God? I don't believe that's what he's saying because the Bible also says that no man will, can see God's face and live. Even Moses, who saw God on the mountain, was hidden in the cleft of the rock until God had already passed by. And so I don't believe he's talking about that. And I also don't believe that this means that the pure in heart will have an encounter with God. Because we have plenty of examples in the Bible and also probably most of you in your personal life of, of times when people who were not pure in heart still had an encounter with God. And so what does it mean that the pure in heart will see God? And so to look at this, we're going to get a little bit academic for just a minute. And we're going to go to the Expositor's Greek Testament. Are you guys excited? This is the part that you're going to be telling all your friends about. When we got into the Expositor's Greek Testament. It's important though that we look at what this means and what Jesus is actually saying. So what this is, is this is like a commentary from the Expositor's Greek Testament on this one verse. And I'm just going to read you a little excerpt from it. But it's really powerful and it gets straight to the issue. Listen to this. Talking about Matthew 5, 8, talking about the pure in heart. It says those, it, those who, the pure in heart are those whose very thoughts are clean or the pure in motive, the single-minded, the men who seek the kingdom as the highest good with undivided heart. Now remember, go back to our definition of what pure means. It's that thing and nothing else. It is true that the pure shall have access to God's presence, but the truth to be insisted on in connection with this beatitude is that through purity, singleness of mind, they are qualified for seeing, knowing, truly conceiving God and all that relates to the moral universe. It is the pure in heart who are able to see and say that truly God is good and rightly to interpret the whole phenomena of life in relation to providence. They shall see, says Jesus, casting his thought into eschatological form, but he means the pure are the men who see, the double-minded, the two-souled man is blind. Jesus is saying that to be able to see God, to be able to see what God is doing, to be able to see God's purposes, to be able to see God's plans at all, you have to have a pure heart. And if you don't have a pure heart, you may still look at the world around you you may still look at things that are going on. You may still look at problems and situations, but you will not be able to see what God is doing. And we need to be able to do that. So if there's any issue, problem, fear, doctrine, or belief that has more of a voice or influence in your heart than God, uh, then you're in a place where you 
you're in a bad place because you can't see what God's doing. Your heart has become divided and you've become double-minded. But there's good news. You don't have to stay that way. But I think we need to test ourselves. I think we need to figure out if that is actually something that each one of us is dealing with. And so we're, we're navigating towards the solution here. So bear with me. But what I want to ask you to do is, as we look at this last section, I want you to just examine yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to your heart the condition that you're in. Because we're going to take a, t- we're going to take a little bit of time at the end here, and we're going to get right. And if you need to take a step towards having a pure heart, we're going to do that. But we need to figure out where we're at. So you can test yourself <clears throat> with some of these issues. And I want to go ahead and put these up on the screen. Think about these things here. COVID, our favorite word. It just, it's, it's, it's been a game changer for so many people. It's been the thing everybody's been talking about. It's kind of... Uh, swallowed up our focus. COVID, can you still see God above the reports, the statistics, the symptoms? Maybe you've had COVID. Maybe you've lost a loved one to COVID. It's no small thing, right? But can you still see God above this thing? And let me ask you a question that I know if I had you answer out loud, everybody would say yes. I'm not asking you to answer out loud. I'm asking you to examine yourself. Is the name of Jesus still the name above every name? Or is there a new word that is the most powerful word? I know what you would say if I asked you. But we're, we're testing ourselves right here with these issues. Where is our heart? What has captured our heart? COVID, can you still see God above all of this? Politics, can you still see God above this mess? Or have you been sucked in to this craziness? Again, I'm not asking you to respond out loud. Look at yourself. Ask yourself these questions. Be honest sickness. Maybe it's not COVID. Maybe it's some other diagnosis. Maybe it's some other thing. Maybe it's not in you. Maybe it's in your loved one. Can you still see Jesus above the symptoms and the pain and the fear and the anxiety? Or is what you're seeing something else? The pure in heart will see God. Finances, can you still see God above the anxiety and the stress of financial hard times? And then relationships. For many people, this is the hardest one. Even in a troubled relationship, you may be in a situation where you have an adult uh, child who's far from God that you pray for every day. Can you still see God above the strife, the division, the hurt? the pain. And I'm not saying, can you see God in it? I'm saying, can you see God above it? That's where that song, Jesus Above It All, came from. Because, you know, when I see chaos, I see Jesus above it all. 
Because if you can't see Jesus above the situation, then you are in severe danger to be drawn into the situation, not even as a willing participant. Can you still see Jesus above that issue? So if you keep your heart pure, like I said earlier, it's so much easier to keep your thoughts pure. Because out of your heart flows the issues of life, right? So I want to hit one last type of impurity or, or issue that can cause us to not have a pure heart. And then we're going to actually deal with this together. And it's going to be awesome. But one of the most serious forms of, I'll just say, not having a pure heart for us is what I would call religious impurity, or maybe in our circles we would call it spiritual impurity. And I think it's even more serious than moral impurity. And the reason I say that is that moral impurity is fairly obvious, right? If you're struggling with moral impurity, whatever form that may take, you know that you're struggling with that. It's, it's clear that you're struggling with it. And when something is obvious, then it can be dealt with, repented of, and, moved, and you can move on. Spiritual impurity, however, disguises itself as an aspect of our new life in Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Spiritual impurity disguises itself as an aspect of our new life in Jesus. So it puts on the coat of Christianity and mixes itself in with legitimate parts of our walk with God. So it's, in that way, it's more serious because it hides in your mindset and it hides in your heart. So I want to look at how spiritual impurity, just the way it can manifest itself in two major ways. And again, I want to ask you to continue with me to just be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and examining your heart and see if this is something that God wants to deal with, okay? Spiritual impurity can come up in two ways. The first way is experience without Scripture. Experience without Scripture. Spiritualism. Spiritualism. Just because something is spiritual doesn't mean that it came from the Holy Spirit. Everything spiritual is not of God, okay? We have to be aware of what God's doing. Jesus said, my sheep will know their master's voice. And we have to be aware if something that's happening is holy spiritual <laughs> or not holy spiritual. Um, there is a church, and I am not making this story up, but I'm also not going to name any names, so don't come up afterwards and ask me any specifics. I won't tell you. But there is a church who believed that when the presence of God came into the room, uh, that everyone in the room would wet their pants as, as an evidence that the presence of God was there. 
I'm not making it up. Just because it's spiritual does not mean that it's from the Holy Spirit. Thank God that I can't find any evidence of that in here. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's from the Holy Spirit. Well, this prophet says this, but, but this pastor says this thing. Well, yeah, but this author in this book wrote this. Well, yeah, but this blogger said this thing. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's from the Holy Spirit. There will be prophecies. There will be words of knowledge. There will be words of wisdom. But not every prophecy is from God. Just because a prophet prophesies, it does not mean that God said it. Listen, I had a really well-known prophetic person uh, that anybody who moves in those circles would know who I was talking about. Prophesy over me. And as he was prophesying, the Holy Spirit told me, I am not saying this. This is a false prophecy. Don't receive it. And when he was done, I said, thank you, and I just walked away. And in a very short period of time, it was proven out that it was a false prophecy. Now, I'm not saying that person is a horrible person or anything like that. I'm just saying that was not a prophecy from God. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's from the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21 says this, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. What is that saying? It's saying there will be prophecies. Not all the prophecies are going to be accurate. You test what is good and hold on to those things. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's coming from the Holy Spirit. Experience without scripture is spiritualism. The other manifestation of spiritual impurity is the flip side of that coin. And that is scripture without experience is intellectualism. And it's, it's, if you can imagine driving down a narrow road with a ditch on either side, these are two sides, two ditches that you have to be careful not to fall into. Scripture without experience is called intellectualism. And here's what happens with this. Intellectualism is when we take this living word and we turn it into something academic, we turn it into more of a textbook, we turn it into a book to be studied. Now, we, we do need to study scripture. Don't get me wrong, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. We need to study scripture, but the way that we study scripture is totally different than the way we study any other thing. It's not like going to school. There's, this is a living book. This, was, this is totally unique among any other book in history. And intellectualism happens many times when someone is fearful or intimidated by having an experience with God and they retreat into more of an academic relationship with God, right? And so they remove experience. They think about the presence of God as being something fearful 
or intimidating that makes them anxious. And so then their relationship with God becomes much more academic based on information uh, and they retreat into that. But Christianity is a lot more about relationship than scholarship. God wants a, has always wanted to be a father with a family, not a teacher with a classroom. And you can't reach the heart of God by intellectual assent. But this, this problem of retreating into more of an intellectual connection with God is something that goes way, 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 way back. And look at Exodus 20:19. We see it happening here. The people said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So what are they saying? Moses, you go up on the mountain. You get close to the scary fire. You listen to the scary voice. And then you come back down off the mountain and tell us what he said. But God never intended uh, to have a relationship with just one person. He wants to have a relationship with each one of us. And so to be pure, to be pure, we need to have experience founded in Scripture. And we need to have Scripture that is living with experience. Does that make sense? So we have to guard our hearts against spiritual impurity. I love one more Tozer quote. He says, we might be wise to follow the insight of the enraptured heart rather than the more cautious reasoning of the theological mind. Now, I want to come in for a landing. And I want to, to, to guide us through a process of achieving purity in our hearts. And if you have been looking at yourself and figuring out that this is something that needs to be changing in you, let's look at how we can change this right now. Um, the solution is simple. It's simple. It's not complicated. The way that I monitor my own heart is by asking some simple questions and praying a simple prayer, okay? And I want to put these questions up on the screen right now. <clears throat> Number one, who am I? Who am I? I'm a child of God, and that's my core identity. That's my core identity. Now, I could stack a million other things into what I consider to be my identity. But my core identity is I'm a child of God. Why is that my core identity? Because that's the part of my identity that lasts for all eternity, right? At the moment, I'm a child of God who is bald. I know most of you didn't notice that. But I, I personally believe that that won't be my identity for all of eternity. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But my core identity is that I'm a child of God. Number two, who is Jesus? When I'm thinking about myself, when I examine my heart and I ask the question, who is Jesus? The answer is, he's my Savior and my Lord, and he's my one pursuit. My one pursuit. That's my core belief. And then number three, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I on this earth? Why am I in this world? to love God and to represent Jesus to the world.
to love God and to represent Jesus to the world. That's my core purpose. That's my core purpose. Now, the way that you can tell that you need to purify your heart is when you ask these questions of yourself if other things come up along with those answers. Because remember, back to the first part here, purity is simply the one thing with nothing else added. And so if there's anything beyond those core, your core identity, your core belief, and your core purpose, then there's an impurity in your heart that needs to be dealt with. So how about this? I'm a child of God. What's my core identity? I'm a child of God and an American. No. Now, I am an American. I'm an American. You guys are Americans. But that's not my core identity, okay? That's a part of my identity that gets stacked up on top of the core identity, but that's not my core identity. Do you think in 70,000 years from now, we're going to identify ourselves as Americans? No, we won't. But in 70,000 years from now, we will still identify ourselves as children of God. And so you've got to be able to identify, is there something else in there? Your race, your nationality, your gender, your political affiliation, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you like Coke or Pepsi, none of those things are your core identity. I am a child of God. How about your purpose? I represent Jesus. And I'm a husband and a father. Now listen, with all respect, and I'm going to use myself as the example for this one. With all respect, the, no. Your core purpose, your core purpose is to love God and represent Jesus to the world. And from that core purpose, you will love your spouse and you will love your kids and you'll love your neighborhood, but your core purpose is the one thing that will last for all eternity. At some, uh, I know this bends your mind all sorts of different directions. At some point, the people that I'm fathering, I will relate to as brothers and sisters in the family of God in eternity. I mean, I know we don't go there very much because it's kind of weird, but it's true. I mean, I'm the father of five children, but they have a heavenly father that's their eternal father. And my core purpose is to love God and to represent Jesus to this world. And from that core purpose, I will move into these other important purposes that I have. But that's called purity. That's called having a pure heart. And God will flow through your life and bring his kingdom to the part of the world that you touch. Now, I told you to, to, to achieve purity, you ask yourself some simple questions and you pray a simple prayer. Let me ask the band to come back up and I want to talk to you about how we get there. And I want to say one more thing about these core purposes too. Um, and I told this story in a, in a message last year, so m many of you may have heard this, and so I'm just going to give you the super short nutshell version of this. 
But there was a point in time where I really needed to hear from God. I mean, I really needed God to give me direction on something. It literally was affecting the direction of our family. It was affecting whether or not we moved away. I mean, I needed to hear God give me some direction on something really important. And I was praying about it and praying about it. He wasn't answering me. I went away and locked myself in a hotel room with my Bible and my notebook, and I prayed all night, and I, he wouldn't answer me. And I was so frustrated. And, and by the time I was getting ready to check out, I prayed and I said, God, you called me to do this thing, and you're not telling me what to do. You're not telling me the step to take. And I'm so frustrated right now. And why won't you tell me what you want me to do beyond just this general thing that you said when I have given you everything? And as soon as I said that, as soon as I made that ignorant accusation, God spoke. And he, in my mind's eye, he put a picture of my family in front of me. And he said, you have not given me everything. And in that instant, I knew that was true. And that I had given God access to everything in my life. But I had said, this is off limits to you. And there was an impurity in my heart. My heart was divided. And the moment that I surrendered, got down on my knees, and gave God access to everything, I got the answer I needed. Things broke through, and I moved forward. But I realized, and I didn't know before that. That's why this is so important. I realized that I had a divided heart, not a pure heart. So, we have to be able to, to identify if this is going on or not. And then there's a simple prayer we pray. David prayed it. David's one of the most famous sinners in the Bible. But he's also one of the most famous repenters in the Bible. And Psalms 51.10 simply says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. So we're gonna do the song that we did in worship. We're gonna do part of that song right now. And I just want you, if you need to, to pray that prayer and ask God to create in you a pure heart that's undivided and that doesn't have anything in it but him.